today on Laura Lynn and Friends. We have a problem here. I don't know. I don't know that we can elect a Trump to get us out of it or a Vivek. I mean, this is a very, very deep seated problem. What you really need is mass protests, mass non-compliance by the public and to scare this, this, scare this ruling class into really shaking things up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the beginning of The Last Days. My name is Laurel and Tyler Thompson. We've got Mark Morano. You may have seen him on Fox News, some of your favorite shows there. He's been talking about uh, climate change, the Great Reset. We're going to get down into the nitty-gritty of it. Uh, but first, you all know that I love to start the show by reading from my dad's Bible. And uh, today, I opened it up. You know, I've kind of been really looking into sort of the uh, eschatology on what happens in the last days because, like, there's some really bad stuff coming, but some really great stuff coming. So I'm not worried about it. I'm kind of excited about it. And I do believe that God has a really good plan for those that are with him and have his peace that we are going to sail through this while those who have practiced unrighteousness, deception, and evil are going to be very sorry. Very. God's kind of like Clint Eastwood. Once in a while, he says, go ahead, make my day. All right. So uh, I love to read from my dad's Bible. He passed away over two years ago, and he has marked this thing up from stem to stern. So I went to Mark, because we have a Mark on the show today. And I went to Mark, and, and it's sort of talking about the last days in Mark 14. And my dad has underlined in red, and it's this, and I think it's encouraging. Mark uh, 13, 27. And it says this, and then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost parts of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. So I don't know how you feel. I mean, if you don't feel like you're one of his elect, you might be a little bit scared by that. And you might wonder what that's all about. But it's super easy to be one of his elect. You just believe on Jesus and you got it down. So uh, so I'm good. I'm feeling pretty positive about that. So you may have heard all of this stuff going on. I mean, is it global colding or is it global warming? I'm not too certain. And I know there's a lot of facts flying around. And our government here in Canada and those in the United States want to start taxing us for our carbon footprint. And I don't like it. And I don't want anything to do with that um, because, um, you know, Basically, I mean, there's some predictions in the word in Revelations about, you know, some sort of cataclysmic star falling. It's called Wormwood or something like that, JT. Let's read more about that. And uh, there's no way to, you know, tax someone for their carbon footprint when you get hit by a, an asteroid and, you know, the, the skies go black for a few days. So let's, uh, let's talk about Mark. Uh, you're going to love him. He's, uh, he's been everywhere and he's written a great book. Mark Morano serves as executive editor and chief correspondent for uh, CFAX award-winning climatedepot.com, a news and information service he founded in 2009. He is the award-winning producer, writer, and host of Climate Hustle, uh, released in 2016, and Climate Hustle 2, released in 2020. He is also the author of numerous books, one of which is called The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. He has spent years researching climate change, environmental and energy issues, traveled all over the globe, attending key UN climate, sustainability and eco conferences in Kenya. I've been there in Kenya. Love it. Indonesia, Poland, Copenhagen, France, Greenland, Argentina, Brazil, Morocco, Egypt, South Africa just to name a few. He is absolutely 
epic. He's got a lot to tell us. Mark, thank you for um, waiting in the, the wings there. Thank you for being with us today. We're so thrilled to have you. Thank you, Lori Lynn. Happy to be here today. Appreciate it. Thank you. So tell me how you got interested in climate and, and that has led to a pretty solid career and, you know, speaking out about this. What, what got your concern in the first place? Well, I was and growing up in the United States, I, I grew up in Virginia. I always was a Republican, except when it came to the environment. And I, even when, during Ronald Reagan's presidency, where I was a volunteer for his campaigning, I was always like, ah, oh, this is bad. You know, we got to save the environment. So I became all in, in, uh, enrolled up into the uh, Save the Rainforest movement and all the species extinctions. And it wasn't until 1992, during the Rio Earth Summit, uh, that a lady named Dixie Lee Ray, nuclear physicist, went down to Rio and was doing reports back from Brazil about how the environmental groups were colluding with the United Nations and they were lying about exaggerating environmental problems. It turned out the rainforests were not as in bad a shape as they were saying. The species extinctions weren't happening like they were saying. They were theoretical species. I started looking into that in 1992 and I became an investigative reporter and I started uh, my first documentary was the Amazon rainforest, clear-cutting the myths. I went down to Brazil multiple times, interviewed environmentalists, showed them what Americans were being told in their travel books. And we have footage, the first one of the environmentalists slamming the book down in the jungle. That's just BS, BS cursing, because uh, it was all lies designed to scare you, to get funding. Turned out a few years after I did my documentary, the New York Times reported that the Amazon was the least endangered forest in the world for every acre of being cut. 50 were being regenerated and they were double accounting when you hear about football fields per minute uh it's you know they don't account for regeneration which the new logging techniques they do in tropical forests you can have the same plant and animal species in seven years indistinguishable from that which they you know logged previously the real danger for the rainforest is poverty uh, mismanagement and uh, slash and burn agriculture from the from people who have no other means by which to live so that got me into it. So by the time global warming came by, and I started covering that in 1999, I worked for a show called American Investigator, which was sort of like a, a lower budget 60 minute style show. I worked on that, then I worked, uh, I started going to all the UN climate summits. And then eventually I went to work for the US Senate Environment Public Works Committee. And I released the 400 dissenting scientist reports. I would go to all the UN summits, like you mentioned, uh, usually in very exotic locales. I just got back from Dubai in the Middle East at the most recent one. I've been to 18 Terrible out of the last life. 20. Yeah, 18 out of the last 20 UN climate summits, plus two UN Earth summits, one in uh, Brazil and one in Johannesburg, South Africa. So 20 uh, United Nations confabs, if you will. And so what? So that's how I got involved. I was a sort of disillusioned environmentalist who felt I'd been deceived on the rainforest, started looking at other stuff, started looking into wetlands and species and climate. And I realized this was a whole cottage industry. And frankly, there was really no other, very few other critical uh, reporters and media looking at these claims. I mean, the, most people, including conservatives, Republicans, never wanted to challenge the environment. In fact, the most liberal member of any conservative president in the U.S.'s cabinet is always the Environmental Protection Agency. They say, oh, well, we'll give the liberal that position because then they'll keep the activists off our back and we'll look like we care about the earth. Well, no, it's the opposite. Uh, you end up with someone who uh, ends up doing things that harm the environment. And one of the biggest things that harm the environment uh, is not supporting technology and prosperity and wealth. 
And in my books, I point out that it's the wealthiest countries that have the cleanest environment. It's the poorer countries and most regulated countries that have the worst environments. And then, of course, like you can point to the old Soviet bloc, Eastern bloc nations, and you can people I say, well, socialism wasn't done correctly there. But uh, so I've been working on this climate issue for decades. I ended up doing a thousand dissenting scientists report. And my first book was a politically incorrect guide to climate change. Also did two films, Climate Hustle, which came out in 2016, and Climate Hustle 2 in 2020, which starred Kevin Sorbo. Uh, so I've been we on the climate We actually had Kevin Sorbo time. on, and we've got the, uh, the clip um, of Climate Hustle 2, if we could just run that, because we'd give some sure, idea thanks. of what you've been working on. Would that be okay? Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Climate activists know that dire global warming predictions are not supported scientifically, but they are still attempting to maintain the illusion by any means necessary. See more in our upcoming film, Climate Hustle 2, Rise of the Climate Monarchy. The burden is always on America and on some of the more developed nations. And I'm convinced that what's really at root is a desire for other governments to impose control in a almost one world government kind of way upon America and the rest of the nations of the world. It's a scam. There's, there's nothing sure. It is a scam. It's been going on now for about 40 years. Started by Morris Strong from Canada as part of the UN. It's part of the UN's agenda for 21st century global governance. And they're just trying to erode sovereignty and take control of each of the countries through their energy policies and through finance policies. What they will do, as they've already begun doing it, they've established a thousand new bureaucracies which are the sinews of this new global government. And these bureaucracies will act with the savagery and arrogance and ability to preempt on the resources of the people, to order them about, eventually to put them on trial, that monarchs of old used to do. So what it ends up meaning is that a core group call the shots and the rest just follow through like sheep. And they will have far greater powers than any monarch because the absolute control over people that a modern bureaucracy has through modern methods of record keeping and communication is terrifying. And that's what they're trying to impose on us. The whole global warming agenda is based on control. Control of science, control of energy, control of policy. This is the, the way to the end of freedom. This is the way to the, to the brave new world of, of, the, of the future. Don't miss this important film. Climate Hustle 2. So scary. You know, Mark, thank you for investing in this, but like this is 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 terrifying. Like so so what is what do you think after all, all that you've seen? What are they really doing to us? Well, what's interesting is the clip you just showed, Laura Lynn, was from released in 2020, right before. COVID hit. I mean, we shot that before COVID hit. And when the when COVID hit, we actually redid an introduction with me wearing a mask and ripping the mask <laughs> off and talking about how this, all the stuff you were just saw there, all the clips, Senator Malcolm right. Roberts from Australia and, uh, and the other experts were warning of what they were going to do with climate. Well, once March of 2020 came, the whole world changed. Everything they'd been trying for decades and making incremental movements and, and being stopped in a lot of ways on climate happened overnight. And so this is where you get the great reset because right after COVID hit March of 2020, when we started the lockdowns, the global lockdowns, the global uh, mandates and the closing of churches, schools, government. And remember, we had no vote on any of this. It was all an emergency. It was being done for our own good. We couldn't have, you know, local parliaments. No one had any say. It was just imposed upon us by our betters 
for our own good from, from experts. We had to listen to the experts, listen to the science. This was shocking to me was in April of 2020, the climate activist from John Kerry, our US climate envoy, came out and said, COVID and climate are screaming at us, the parallels. We had a teen climate activist named Jamie Margolis in, in Teen Vogue magazine actually say, if we can shut down the world for a virus, we can do the same thing for climate. So everything we warned about in that movie, Climate Hustle, came about immediately and almost overnight with COVID. So that's the stage. Then the World Economic Forum, two months after the lockdowns begin, announced that now is the time for a, what they called a great reset, a narrow window of opportunity by which the world must, must act in order to reset the global order, global capitalism, et cetera. And what they did was they, Klaus Schwab announced this to the world and they came up with the phrase, build back better, which your prime minister, Trudeau, loved that phrase. My president, yeah, Joe Biden, Biden, loved the phrase. And the phrase build, build back, back better, better is collapse the existing order and then build it back up in the globalist image, which we've been trying to do through climate. But hey, we'll take it. If COVID's going to get us there, everything we, every, and I always say everything I learned in the climate debate, everything I saw happen in the COVID debate, I had already learned decades ago in the climate debate. The censoring of experts like the epidemiologists from Harvard and Stanford, Nobel Prize winning epidemiologists who were called fringe epidemiologists by US government scientists because they didn't support COVID lockdowns. We saw the intimidation, the deplatforming, the censoring, the canceling. We saw the lack of freedom of movement. We saw the, the planned, they always wanted planned recessions to fight climate change at these UN summits. Well, what was a lockdown, global lockdown, except government enforced uh, recession. So everything you saw, happened with COVID. And then immediately, you know, about six months after that, you had Bill Gates, George Soros funded professor, Mariana Mazzucato in Europe, come out and say, now we may have to resort to lockdowns again once the COVID lockdowns end, this time in the name of climate lockdowns to save the climate. And it was their phrase. A Bill Gates, George Soros funded scientist coined the phrase climate lockdowns, which now, of course, the BBC and media matters say, I'm a climate, I'm a conspiracy nut because I use the phrase climate lockdown. I'm just using what, what Bill Gates and George Soros paid people to say. So that's what happened. And now going forward, they're merging COVID and climate together. We had right before this UN climate summit in Dubai, 200 medical journals led by the British Medical Journal, the most prestigious medical journal in the world. These are the experts. If you're not a doctor with a PhD and a medical degree, how dare you challenge them? And they said, they've urged the World Health Organization as part of the pandemic treaty, as part of regular practice to, to demand that climate change be considered a, a public health emergency and use the same template to fight climate change that they did for COVID. And what was that template following essentially the, what, what the Great Reset is in one sentence, so we understand and how it relates to climate. It is, the, it is the global movement based on decades of the ruling class elite from the pages of the New York Times to Justin Trudeau, to the UN climate chief, to the World Economic Forum, to US officials in the Biden administration, to the Apple CEOs, all praising China and China's one party rule as getting things done without the messiness of democracy. Justin Trudeau actually said in 2013, he admires China's basic dictatorship. Well, came March 2020, when March 2020 arrived, the entire once free West mimicked 
one party rule China, where we had no democracy, we were had all these things imposed on us by our betters. And it became almost a social credit score where if you didn't wear a mask, if you didn't obey the lockdown, you were shamed and you were locked down. In the case of Canada, it was much worse. You know, you could be debanked, uh, your insurance canceled if you're a trucker. These are all tactics that we learned from the Chinese one party rule government. And that's what the Great Reset was. They wanted to use the same template. They loved the idea that they didn't have to debate stuff and have town halls and constituent input and a vote of Congress or parliament. They love the idea of unelected bureaucrats and executives declaring an emergency and just imposing the most radical authoritarian impositions of our lifetime on us virtually overnight. Wow. So walk me through, what do you think some of the things that they would try for a climate lockdown? They are they are right. already threatening another virus of some sort, you know, and that was just a practice run. Yes. And, Maybe something that maybe this time we actually need to be afraid of because the other one was a nothing burger, really, um, when, when it's all said and done. But uh, what, what do you think? What kinds of things would they impose on us, these 15-minute cities? And do you think that I just heard right. Noval Yuval Harari, Noah Yuval Harari, basically saying they can lock down airports. Um, you know, they've shown that they can and people would just have to get used to it. Yes. In fact, we don't have to speculate like, gee, what would they do? We know exactly what they want to do. It's laid out International Energy Agency report. It's laid out in uh, UK government funded reports called net zero reports. It's laid out in these medical journals of following the same template. And here it is. And it's laid out by NBC News, of all things. In the United States, if Joe Biden declares a national climate emergency, which he's twice now, he's come very close to doing, and there's still a possibility he could do it because as we go waiting for the right moment, he would get 130 wartime executive powers and by which to bypass democracy. These would extend to mayors and governors. And so that's one thing. And what would they do with this power is your question. Well, these wartime powers and also the climate lockdown powers, we know, we've seen it laid out massive airline restrictions. We've already been told by these reports and by activists, you can't fly when you want to in a declared climate emergency unless it's, quote, morally justifiable. We already have CNN just came out about a month ago as part of a climate lockdown proposing carbon passports for your travel. In other words, the government issues you a travel passport or a carbon footprint passport. And once you hit your certain maximum with airline flights, you can't fly anymore. They're mm -hmm. saying this out loud. We know that we have Business Insider magazine. We have uh, Boris Johnson's transportation secretary in the UK literally saying owning a car is outdated 20th century thinking. So they don't want to just put you in an electric. They want to get rid of car ownership. And in terms of electric cars, they say how great electric cars are. First of all, they're not. It's half, half a million pounds of materials coming, a lot of rare earth material for one electric car battery. It relies exclusively on China, which has a monopoly on these rare earth. You're, re you're recharging your electric cars chiefly on a fossil fuel grid. And they make no economic sense. They make no freedom of movement sense, at least in their current technological innovation with, with the lack of charging stations particularly. But they banned their competition. If you have such a great product, solar, wind, electric car, why do you have to ban gas-powered cars? Why do you have to ban coal and oil and gas and shut it down? If these products are so great and they're so cheap, according to all the experts, why do we have to ban 
their competition. It's like a football team saying, we're the greatest. We've won the championship game. Well, we're going to have the champion. We've won. And you show up on the field and the other team is barred from playing because they've already declared themselves the winner. That's what they've done with this green energy. So we know that they want to go after the agriculture as part of a climate lockdown. John Kerry just said, in order to meet our climate goals here in the United States, we have to meet net zero. It's already, you're much further advanced than Canada. It's hitting Australia. We saw what they tried to do in Sri Lanka. In essence, they're going after high yield agriculture, nitrogen-based fertilizer. They're going after methane emissions, cow emissions. We know the United Nations is on record as saying cow emissions, just cows are worse for the climate than all the trains, planes, and automobiles, the entire transportation sector combined. So what does that mean? It means they're gonna go after meat eating. We have Bill Gates and Richard Branson, two billionaires investing heavily in lab-grown meat, which is just to explain, not vegetable-based impossible burger, but stem cells from a cow, sheep, or pig mixed with the fetal blood of those animals, put into a Petri dish, then allowed to fester in a steel vat and then uh, it's going to have no eyes, no brain, no actual structure. It's going to be an amorphous blob. And then they're going to add antibiotics, food texture, coloring. And at the end, it's processed and printed on a 3D printer. Now, it's technically meat because genetically it's from stem cells from an animal. But it's about the most processed form of meat you can get. And guess what? In the United States, the USDA just approved lab-grown meat for the first time in U.S. history. It pays to have a billionaire backing and funding for all this stuff. So we know they're coming after the collapse of energy, food, transportation, freedom of movement. And this isn't theoretical. We, as you mentioned, we have 15-minute cities springing up throughout Europe. You can leave a, a current one in Oxford was like 90 sometimes a year. And then once you exceed the 90, you start paying fines. They have gates set up. They can change these rules at any time. You also have France just banned flights of less than two and a half hours for the public and, and commercial airlines. So you actually have real climate lockdowns beginning now you can't fly if it's under two and a half hours. You're forced into a car, which is a higher death rate or a train. Um, and this is happening now on every sector. It's all of these decisions of the most consequential aspects of our life, our energy, our freedom of movement, and our uh, diets and food. They went regulated by mega corporate government collusion with these international groups, with fewer and fewer people making it. Bill Gates once is now the America's largest single farmland owner. Close second is another billionaire, Jeff Bezos. Close with him is China buying up U.S. farmland. What's the state of gold? Bill Gates has stated in MIT Technology Review interview that he wants the entire Western world, which includes Canada, Australia, New Zealand, uh, U.S., Europe, to eat this synthetic beef is what he's calling it. So they wanna get rid of farms and agriculture and move meat production into the laboratory. That is what a climate lockdown looks like and that is what we're accelerating to and hurtling toward. This would have sound crazy pre-March of 2020, but everything changed in March of 2020 and they really believe that they have a narrow window of opportunity and by golly, they are taking every advantage of this opportunity. I just, I just feel like I'm in somebody else's movie and I don't know what my lines are supposed to be, except that it's a horror and they're trying to bring on stuff to us. Like in Montreal, we have the cricket factory, right? We have the world's largest bug cricket place in Montreal. Yeah. We're not proud of this. You know, th this is destroying us. We're worried that they're putting cricket legs and cr cricket backs and, and little, you know, cricket brains all in into our protein bars or something, right? We're, we're reading all the ingredients now to make sure that we can't recognize something that we know is bug legs. And 
this is disturbing. Like these people, it seems so psychotic. And uh, I see in Germany here, if you've got this share here, but Eva uh, Vladingerbrook, I just interviewed yes. her. And uh, she's got she's the, is it showing there? And so she, this is in Germany where she's going to head there because the, the farmers, uh, they have announced that they will launch a protest larger than the country has ever seen before on Monday, January the 8th. So they're serious. And, and this is going to shut down stuff, you know, and I'm glad that there's a rise in this. Yes, and that's the good news. Everything I just said is very depressing. The good news is, <laughs> is. the public is being red-pilled at a rate I've never even seen in my life. Good. So we saw what happened in Sri Lanka. They tried to impose these type of regulations on farming. And to use the phrase of the ruling class, the peasants overran the presidential palace. They literally collapsed the entire nation and the peasants overran and threw the leader out. We saw this happen in the Netherlands, where to meet net zero climate goals, guess which farmers were affected? 10,000 plus small, medium, family-run, generational farms in the Netherlands were facing bankruptcy and foreclosure because of these net zero climate rules. So what happened? The farmers fought back. They formed what's called the BBB, uh, farmers political party, they now have hold huge sway and they're fighting this. We now see it spreading, the fight is spreading to Germany. The more they try to impose this and people wake up to what's happening, it's not theoretical. This isn't 1990 where we're talking about a shadowy new world order and people are like, ah, it's a conspiracy net. They see it with their own eyes. And what you said about insects, first of all, Georgia Maloney from Italy, the prime minister deserves a shout out. She has said, we are not gonna put bugs in Italy's pasta. And just so your, list, your viewers understand, when they say we're gonna have you eat insects, you're not gonna be eating a bowl of cockroaches live, although some right. people might. They get the powder from these bugs and they're gonna replace it with the wheat powder and all the other kind of forms of flour. And they turn it into the bug powder, which then cuts costs. Corporations can make more money. They can shut down farms and destroy bankrupt farmers because you're eating all these insect farms that are, again, these are farmed insects that are done in production and laboratories. And they do psyops, psychological operations with kids. In Australia, thousands of school kids in the public school were given cricket-based snacks and they were looked like potato chips. They were greased and fried and seasoning and they were like barbecue flavor. The kids were given these insects to eat at school. Again, they don't look like bugs. And the kids were like, wow, eating crickets is tasty. And then the adults, the activists from the government are like, yeah, go home and pester your parents that eating insects is okay. So they're normalizing people, young people, children today to accept that eating insects is just fine. And they're really pushing this, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations. This is a whole movement, uh, the, the corporate media. I can't tell you how much CNN, how much Hollywood, we have Hollywood celebrities eating bugs on camera. They're trying to normalize this as much as possible. And the only way they achieve this, and the only way they achieve anything I said, they have to create shortages in rationing across the board. So right now, they're making incredible progress in creating energy shortages. They're making incredible progress on creating transportation. The real purpose of a gas-powered car ban is not to make you buy a electric vehicle. It's to force you into mass transit. It's to force you to stay at home. It's to force you within 15 minutes of your, of your place of residence. That's the real purpose. The real purpose of net zero food regulations uh, to limit high yield agriculture or to go after meat eating is not to save the planet. It's to force you and to make you willing to accept bug eating, lab grown meat, 
and staying at home with all these things. It's the idea of rationing creates chaos, economic collapse, and then you build back in your ideological image. And the ideological image, we know it's not speculation. They've announced it's the Great Reset. Al Gore, John Kerry, Justin Trudeau have all used that phrase directly from the World Economic Forum, praised it and said it's inevitable that the Great Reset is here and it's coming and we're remaking the earth so that we're all good stewards of the environment. And that unfortunately, Laura Lynn, and this is, it means a new form of feudalism. In fact, it was NBC News, again, who reported on Bill Gates buying up American farmland, the single largest owner. They actually said, Bill Gates isn't the farmer here. He's not the one in overalls with a pitchfork. What it is, is there's actually reports of farmers losing their land to these climate compliance costs and net zero regulations to some big corporation. And they get to stay on their land and they get to till the land and farm the land, but they're no longer own the land. Sounds a little bit like feudal serfdom, which is why this is now being called a neo-feudalism being imposed on us. And one last point, the most embarrassing, hilarious and moronic thing you'll see are these young activists who go out, glue themselves to a museum, throw paint on a famous architecture, block traffic, and they start screaming about, stop climate emergency, just stop oil or extinction rebellion, whatever it is. They are being paid directly by the wealthiest families of our ruling class, the Getty family, the Rockefellers, Hollywood directors, millionaires, billionaires. And they actually think, these are they're deluded enough to think that they're fighting the power, they're fighting the man, they're fighting the big oil companies. When these are the heirs and heiresses of these oil companies and the big oil companies themselves support the UN Paris Agreement, support the net zero goals, because they know if they crush this, their smaller competition who can't afford all the regulations, ExxonMobil, big example, they, they support all of this climate rules because they get to buy up the smaller companies and increase their monopoly on oil production. So this is what's happening. And these young activists are deluded enough to think they're fighting the powers when all they are are tools of the powers that be. Wow. Okay, so we're watching uh, Trump. He's ahead in the polls, no matter what they try to do to him. Uh, Donald Trump, someone like that, where he's like, drill, baby, drill. Um, is that going to change things for our world if he gets in? Yes. I mean, Donald Trump, in terms of energy, was a phenomenal. I mean, he, he did some things that I criticized, like he didn't go far enough. He didn't pull us out of the UN climate process, but he did get us out at least short term of intent to get us out of the UN Paris climate agreement from the United Nations. He drilled for the first time in the United States history by 2019, we had more energy production than consumption, more energy exports than imports. And it hadn't happened since 1952 when Harry S. Truman was president. That's how phenomenal Donald Trump was to energy. He also filled up our strategic petroleum reserve at record low prices. He did everything right in terms of energy policy. Where I fault Donald Trump and a couple things, and it relates to COVID, he allowed himself to be duped by Anthony Fauci, Deborah Burks. We know that the two weeks to flatten yes. the curve and the COVID emergency, we know now we can see that we can go back and watch the video the day Donald Trump announced. You can see Anthony Fauci smiling. And we know that Deborah Burks, our COVID coordinator here in the United States, wrote a book last year where she details how her and Fauci colluded to trick Donald Trump and it worked. And you can see them smiling at the press conference, grinning at each other that they, they tricked them. They just wanted to buy time. They wanted the country shut down. More importantly, they wanted mayors and governors to have that power endlessly and that power lasted years 
Donald Trump allowed that to happen, never fought it back. And Donald Trump also pushed Operation Warp Speed on the vaccine, which you never want to do because we now know uh, that Anthony Fauci was waiting in the wings to get mRNA to vaccine, so-called vaccine technology. They just needed the right moment and they wanted that emergency authorization so they could bypass all the testing, all the rules. Think again what I said about one party rule China. That's what big pharmaceuticals want. They want that same thing. They don't want to go through any 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 scrutiny. They just want it to happen. And COVID gave them that. And Donald Trump's other huge mistake was in terms of regular politicking, just to make cheap daily political points, he has said repeatedly that Governor of New York Mayor Andrew Cuomo did a better job than Ron DeSantis in Florida of handling COVID. Of course, Governor Cuomo was an authoritarian uh, dictator, much like Trudeau in New York, shutting down every business and ordering stay-at-home orders and church closures and gym closures. Ron DeSantis was the voice of freedom. Donald Trump still is missing a page when it comes to that, but I think he would learned his lesson and would govern incredibly now, especially since the elites hate him with a passion and he is angry enough now where hopefully he could come in and be the bull in the China closet, much more so than he was his first term. The real wrecking ball. I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I remember I did a, a little, you know, video saying fire Fauci. Like I, I wanted to see Donald Trump yeah. say you're fired, you know, and he should have, he and he did, did it. it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to tell everyone on YouTube, head over to, it's in the chat, uh, head on over to rumble because I have a couple of questions that we just want to make sure that we're respectful of the YouTube well, platform. I was about to say, YouTube will, YouTube will ban us if we're talking about this stuff. Yeah. yeah. So head on over to Rumble so we can keep talking. The effect of it, and I've gotten 22 jabs, and I get them every day. I think it's awesome. So oh, I love you, okay safe and effective. The shots are safe and effective. Yeah. Go to Rumble, guys, please. Go right now. It's in the chat uh, of YouTube. Um, yeah, so this is the thing. Um, Donald Trump's, uh, he did seem to miss it on that. Do you think, though, that he's had bad counsel? And why does he not know? Everybody's now, like like certain countries, they're banning this shot. Um, the death toll now, the, you know, unexpected deaths, uh, the, the toll is very high worldwide. There's an unexplained uh, amount of deaths, which we think we can explain more clearly. Do you think he's now going to be better about the shots. I mean, I haven't heard him talk publicly about it, but behind the I, scenes. I haven't either. I haven't. Here's his thing with the shots. His claim to fame in New York City, well, I think it was uh, either Rockefeller, I think it was Rockefeller Center. They had all these government contracts. They, they overspent. They never could get it done. They never met it. He came in and said, look, I'm a private businessman. I'm a can-do guy. He got it in under budget in record time with a beautiful product. And that's what he likes to brag about. So in his mind, he can't admit any failing on the vaccine, Operation Warp Speed, because as the private businessman, that's his specialty. He wanted to come in and get this vaccine out and save lives. And he said repeatedly, as even up to last year, saying things like it saved Spanish flu-like death tolls and we would have 20 million dead if I didn't rush that. So I don't know, because the problem is, the the truth is conflicting with his ego on that he wants to get praise but i think his he he reads his audience very well and when he said this he's been booed by his audiences at yeah. these rallies about the yeah. next, so he's stopped i think he'll don't come around and realize it. yes yeah. i think he's coming around i don't I, I just don't know if he believes it yet i'm not it's hard to believe i also he think he missed an yet. obvious play and i'm not sure why he didn't do it and i it, it makes me wonder if there's more to the story like any kind of uh, you know, benefits that all of these guys, everyone got kickbacks, push the shot, safe and effective, push, push the shot. But what he could have done when the evidence began coming out, he could have made 
a public declaration saying, listen, we've been lied to. We didn't have the right information. The, the data is clear. People are having heart palpitations. Young people are getting uh, myocarditis. Uh, you know, let's uh, call it off, everyone. Uh, I urge Biden to call it off now. This has been, now they might have said, well, you're the one who put it in, but but Biden would have kept doing it because something's wrong. Someone, someone was getting something to keep talking crap and smack about these shots, and it's a big lie. It's a total, I mean, from beginning to end, you have an FDA commissioner who goes from the FDA, Food and Drug Administration in the U.S., to uh, Moderna, Big Pharma. It's a rotating door. This is public health authoritarianism. That's a strain that's always existed. They went hog wild. They had no check on them, either from President Trump or from President Biden. They're licking their chops at the next one. Let me give you an example of where it intersects with my area specialty. In 1969, Paul Ehrlich, who wrote the, the population bomb, who literally claimed that their world was going to end and that England would be blue steam and that we we're going to have mass famines and death and that, that we had such a population problem. And by the way, it was John Lennon at the time who said, this is nonsense. They just work themselves out. Don't worry about it. So John Lennon, the Beatle, was actually more scientifically intelligent than this great intellectual Paul Ehrlich. Well, Paul Ehrlich in 1969 in the pages of the New York Times called for adding forced sterilization, hidden sterilization agents uh, in, our, in our drinking water in Africa and the United States to limit population. In other words, people would be drinking stuff and it would make them unable to reproduce. Well, he was called by his contemporaries at the time worse than Hitler for doing that. And we even had an African-American columnist named Carl Rowan at the time wrote, this is why African black Americans do not trust environmentalists, do not trust the ruling class elite, because they read stuff like this and they're you know, fresh from Tuskegee experiments where Africans were subjected to all these horrors by the government and others. So fast forward, it seems like they figured out a new way. We have now the New York Times, Washington Post reporting on men's fertility and there's their the fertility count and semen count going down with these shots, women's cycles being interrupted. We have real reports from mainstream sources. So I'm not citing some, you know, obscure document, but as reported by the Washington Post, New York Times of fertility rates dropping due to the shot. So from 1969, when you made a comment about reducing population by adding it in your drinking water, you were called Hitler. Fast forward to today, you can have a vaccine that has a very similar effect and people seem to accept it and no one's really calling it out. It's frightening stuff. But I think that is a big issue. I mean, I never got the vaccine. I was in early March. I was on Ezra Levant's show, Rebel News in Canada. I think it was March 9th. I was railing against public health, railing against the lockdowns, railing against the fear. This is March 9th of 2020. I was, I was familiar with the work of Michael Fomento, who would be a good guest for you if you could get him on. He wrote the book, sure. The War on Science. He had written books about Anthony Fauci 30 years before RFK Jr. wrote a book mm. on Anthony Fauci. I knew about authoritarianism and public health. I knew the whole thing. I had followed the vaping wars, and in Canada, it was pretty bad. This vaping lung, which had just happened before COVID, was all because of illegal black market vapes. But Canadian public health, U.S. public health, seized on it as a way that they could get regulatory control over the vaping industry. And they were completely willing to bend science and facts in order to and use fear in order to gain control. That exact template is what happened in COVID. And now they're trying to merge COVID and climate together. Harvard School of Medicine, by the way, has said, unchecked climate change leads to more COVID-like viruses. So ergo, 
If you don't support the Green New Deal or UN Paris Agreement or net zero, you're a grandma killer. This is the world in which we live. And I just can't believe vaccine mandates, you know, Americans were so accepting. I will tell you right now, loud and proud, and you will lose YouTube for this. I would go to Boston, cities on travel where they had the vaccine mandate. I would print up a fake doc, altered federal document of vaccine and write my name on it and use it at the hotel so I could go to breakfast and everything in the morning, complete fraudulent documents. <laughs> uh, so I could comply with their bull, bull bleep rules. Had no problem doing that at all. Um, and so th this is what we need is more resistance like that. I was yes, we do. police called them in stores for not wearing masks and everything else. So good for you. It, this is the kind of stuff. And, um, but this is what, uh, this is what the public needs to be. We need to be red pilled. And so it's about overreaching. And this is why I get disgusted when I look at our politics today. Donald Trump is unique. I like Vivek Ramaswamy. I like a lot of what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is doing. Outside of those three figures, and I'm including Ron DeSantis in that because I consider Ron DeSantis a tool of the establishment at this point. Um, just because he's in order to run for president, he had to shift and he has to get the Republican donor it's sad. base to he support shouldn't him. Have he had bad advice. He should I never think. have run. It was a yeah. disaster. He destroyed his whole brand. He anyway, could have been the next president. But when you look at people like Nikki Haley, they they terrify me because that oh. just goes back to a pre-Trump Republican Party. And just to give people an example, after Ronald Reagan, we had George H.W. Bush, who was an absolute disaster, governed like a Democrat, New World Order Republican, endless wars. Then you had Bob Dole, total tool of the establishment, nothing special going on there. Then you had George W. Bush, was one of the biggest spenders, biggest warmongers we've ever had as president and violated all of our freedoms, our, our, our um, right to privacy, used the Patriot Act, bludgeoned us, all that. Then you had the bailout of the banks under George Bush. Then you had Obama who started doing executive orders. Then you had Mitt, uh, John McCain, who was a horrible Republican nominee, total climate activist. Then you had Mitt Romney, another tool of the establishment in Wall Street. All of those were Republicans, right? I mean, I mentioned Obama, but all those other ones, and then you have Donald Trump and you had people like, oh, I can't believe Donald Trump. Like where, and going back to Ronald, to George H.W. Bush after Reagan, how could Donald Trump be worse than any of those? It made no sense. And Nikki Haley is a return to that tradition. She's working with BlackRock. She's working with big tech. She wants everyone to be registered to go online. She wants to start bombing Iran right now. This is the future. And once Donald Trump goes through the party and you know he ages out or whatever happens or wins or loses, who is the Republican Party and the Conservative Party in the U.S. going to be? I don't know, but it's it's pretty frightening to think we go back. My first vote, 1988, was not cast for George H.W. Bush when Reagan was leaving. It was cast for Ron Paul, uh, and I was a big Pat Buchanan supporter for president. So I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I don't have a party here at the moment. But I'm I'm I, I'm my number one candidate at the moment is Vivek Ramaswamy then Donald Trump, and then RFK Jr. That's where I stand politically at the moment here in the early 2024. If I were voting in a primary, I'll vote Vivek because I love his messaging so much. I don't even <laughs> care if it's not genuine. I don't like his background necessarily, but I love the messaging. He needs to be heard. I don't even want to investigate if he's genuine or not. I know a lot of people say, oh, you should know. He said this. I don't care. What he's saying now and what he's doing now is phenomenal. Right. He is interesting. And you know. Yeah, I mean, he might end up working with Donald Trump because they like each yes. other and Donald won't even say anything nasty against him, which is, you know, which is yeah, cool. Exactly. And he just calls a spade a spade, doesn't he? He's like the greatest spitfire and exciting thing to watch. And he rips apart yeah. Nikki Haley on stage anyways. So he's absolutely phenomenal. But I do think that looking like Donald Trump would get in, I'm hoping that he will have the 
uh, you know, intestinal fortitude now this time to really drain the swamp. He promised to, to drain the swamp. He didn't. He played with the yeah, swamp too much. Yeah, that never happened. He, he was, his big problem, aside from others I mentioned, is terrible personnel. And it's not really his problem. I mean, there's no one man right, that who can he be listened an outsider. To. Yeah. Yeah, you go into the White House and know who to hire and fill. But it was a bunch of bunch of Bush Cheney uh, holdovers and Republican establishment. There's a, they don't exist. And with the, the few people he did, like Carl Icahn, I think was his name, the businessmen he put in, they didn't even last a year because why would a business, successful businessman want to go into that swamp and deal with it? It's intractable. No one president can really change it. You can't really drain the swamp. What happened when Donald, it was amazing because you had State Department, you had the Environmental Protection Agency. The employees openly and publicly worked against everything that Donald Trump was trying to do. So you're going into a hostile environment where an entrenched bureaucracy of the federal government is just not going to do what you say. It almost so it makes you instant gridlock. We have a problem here. I don't know. I don't know that we can elect a Trump to get us out of it or a Vivek. I mean, this is a very, very deep-seated problem. What you really need is mass protests, mass non-compliance by the public, and to scare this to scare this ruling class into really shaking things up. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I don't expect, even if Trump gets in, it would probably be four years of chaos and trying to fight it with some progress. But then who knows after that, you go right back. Right. You know, we go like this. Yes. <laughs> Ying Yang. I just, uh, you know, I enjoy Donald Trump. I enjoy his, uh, the way that he can command a crowd and he is so funny. And people behind the scenes say he's actually a very, um, a humble man, which doesn't come across with the bravado that he has to put on. But I really like him. I do hope he does well. I hope he does what you're saying. But I hear we, what you're talking about is the power of the people that we've got to get to a place where we're willing to stand up when we see something's going wrong. And that is largely I don't know. Is it when crickets are in our pasta? Like, what is the point where we go, no, we're not doing this and we're losing all of our, know. you know, all, all the farmers um, or or we can't drive. Like the United States, you all love to fly. I love to fly. I'm a U.S. and Canadian citizen. Actually, I'm dual citizen. My dad was American. My mom was Canadian. So I have this real, you know, asset. I was able to travel all over even during COVID without a vaccine because I had access to the United States. However, um, you guys love to fly. What's it going to be like when they start telling you you can't fly? Like people have to get irate and angry. But is that a problem too? Because if Donald Trump gets in, they're saying maybe civil war down there. I, I, I don't know how far we go. Here's the thing. Here's why they're, this, all these things you mentioned about flying, driving, they're so time tested and crafty the way they do this. Food, anything. Bloomberg News had an article about cheap airline fares will be a thing of the past due to climate compliance costs. So they're not going to come out outright and tell you, you can't fly anymore, most likely. They're going to tell you, they're going to embed all this stuff in the bureaucracy, in the rules, through court orders and, and through, uh, not even legislation, but through corporate government collusion, financial. And they're going to make airline flights keep going up so the average person can't afford these vacations or that kind of travel. They're going to make food costs go up. We've already seen in the U.S., you can, it's hard to find any kind of steak, especially during COVID supply chain. I mean, you could you had to buy a steak that was once $25 could be like $80, you know, more than double or triple because uh, meat was rationed because of all these supply chain issues at the time. And then you have um, the way they do it is they're going to they're gonna price people out of meat so they can't afford it, price them out of travel, 
price them out by rationing gas-powered cars. They're going to force you. You can't afford an electric car. They're much more expensive and impractical. So it's going to be like people are just going to be like, oh, what's happening here? Your utility bills will keep going through the roof. And you have, I guess it was, I think it was Justin Trudeau who was like, oh, it's the utility company. He was blaming the grocery stores. That's what it was a few months back. Uh, the grocery tycoons are, are, are raising the price on people. No, it's your policies. It's the inflationary policies. It's climate policies increasing the cost of food. But they have ways of hiding this so that the public won't know. One thing, who's the guy, Pierre Polian? How did I say? Oh, yeah. Is he running Pierre against Trudeau? Yep, yep. I watched a video of him today on climate and he said technology is the answer. It was like a two minute video. I follow him on YouTube. I love the guy. I love his style. I love his thing. But I was a little disappointed watching this video because he said in there we had to meet our net zero goal. He didn't say, I don't know if he said net zero, but yeah, he's, he's basically a big climate going along. Dude. Yeah, going along with the premise. He's not yep. challenging the narrative. So I lost a lot. I was really watching him up until today when I saw this video. I'm like, Who's he afraid of? Is he as his, his base can't be with him, but he must be appealing to this middle that he thinks he needs to convert away from he does. Trudeau. He's he's so he's and they, I don't they like get that. them. I they just, get to the leaders and somehow I don't somehow like the it. leaders are too right. afraid to go against this politically correct. So is agenda. he is he good? How do you No, I don't like him. I, don't him. I like Maxime Bernier. Okay. Keep your eyes on a guy That's named good. Maxime Bernier. Maxime Bernier is right on every one of these. But Maxime Bernier, he was ousted. He was a member of parliament, but because he said they are too um, they, they're too, uh, cr not criminally, but, uh, uh, that they're too corrupt to be, to be refined yeah. or restored from within. So he left his name's Maxime Bernier. His time is coming, but yeah. people aren't ready to go for somebody that's, you know, not like, you know, already in there. So they're going for Pierre Polyev, but it, it's problematic. Pierre's got a few things that are just well, off, I you know. Yeah. He was talking about capturing carbon, all these government boondoggles. Yes. We're going to bury it. It's all just virtue signaling, expensive nonsense. So I, I can't imagine he would get that. I, I, he just collapses. And my support for him collapsed when I saw that today. Um, but anyway, that's our problem. He reminds me of sort of the establishment Republicans we'd get before Donald Trump. But he's but he's talented. I think he's a force to be reckoned with. And you may end up with him as your you know as the main challenger because of he's very talented politician. He's very good. I've seen him in interviews. He goes out to the media. You want to support him. I, I don't follow any politics that closely. Yeah, but I was really on my issue. I was really shocked and disappointed at his answers. It was really poorly and pathetically done. He he can do a lot better. He needs a, he needs to rethink a lot of these uh, the climate issue. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. It's very important. Um, the WHO and this uh, climate treaty and stuff yeah. like that are these all all of this? This is all very dangerous. These are dangerous organizations. Yes, what's happening right now? Okay, I, I mentioned the 200 medical journals wanting to combine climate with, as a public health emergency that would be dealt with by uh, the World Health Organization. Part of this coming up in May in Geneva, Switzerland, is going to be, I think it's Geneva, Switzerland, it might be, but it's going to, their meeting of the World Health Organization, they're pushing this pandemic treaty here in the United States, and I'm sure it's the same with Canada. Our leaders are pushing for absolute fealty to this UN pandemic treaty. Joe Biden actually wants to make it stricter. And, and in, in essence, what this treaty is for member nations, and the US and Canada would be member nations, at least under Biden and Trudeau, it means a Bill Gates funded scientist at the World Health Organization. And by the way, Bill Gates through Gavi, his vaccine, and through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the number one donor to the World Health Organization in the close seconds are China and the United States. But a Bill Gates funded scientist at the WHO can declare a pandemic or a climate emergency, and we can have global instant lockdowns with the World Health Organization 
having the authority and power over our national sovereignty to declare stay-at-home orders, limited travel, vaccine mandates, uh, mask mandates, uh, etc. That's the kind of power that we're facing giving. Now, maybe that, maybe we should root for it because maybe that would red pill enough of the population to collapse this whole great reset house of cards. I don't know, but that's what's coming. And that is probably the gravest threat on the horizon that we're directly facing right now. I just want everybody to share. We have a huge audience watching right now. Please share, share, share. This is the kind of information that you can, you know, give to your kids. You can give to your loved ones. You can let them know. Uh, Mark's done a lot of investigation on all of this. And so when, when you think about all that they're doing and none of it really makes sense to a rational mind, like we do have a big divide now between those that think rationally and those that just make no sense anymore. And it seems like there's another agenda. When we have the Club of Rome and Klaus Schwab openly talking about depopulation, we have too many people. I mean, at the base of this, why are they making things to just take away our joy? Bare minimum, they're taking away our joy and our sense of peace and security. Yes, what they're doing, this is, they're getting us used to deprivation, chaos, rationing, shortages. For decades, climate, and this is in my books, climate activists have called for wartime footing to fight global warming. Think about that. And you have AOC in America is specifically calling for that, Al Gore. Wartime footing is miserable. You're living through hell. You're giving up your freedoms, your rights. You're living in a severely rationed environment. Wartime footing is supposed to be very short term. Like think of London under the siege of the Germany from, 19, you know, from World War II. And instead, the war on climate can never end. There's always going to be a storm or a record temperature or some claim that they make. This could go on decades. It could be a hundred years war. We can make the Boer Wars look like nothing because there's, this is the, an endless war with no criteria to ever declare you won. So by doing this, they're forcing us to not have not to they're forcing us not to dream of that nice house of that nice vacation of that nice car of a life of prosperity of flourish of human flourishing instead they want to change our mindset to rationing limit the whole great reset is you'll own nothing and you'll be happy you will own nothing remember the farmers who are now renting the land they used to own don't own anything but someone else owns it it could be Bill Gates, it could be China, it could be agribusiness, big corporations are going to own it. Um, everything you want will be delivered by drone. There's the idea of the 15-minute city, you stay put. Uh, and meat will be only an occasional treat. Of course, once they have the lab-grown meat, you can have all the meat you want from the, from the lab, uh, from the Franken-food laboratory. <laughs> so this is a PSYOP, was what they're doing. They're creating, and that's why they love COVID so much. It created rationing. It created a mindset of just primal human survival. I can't go outside. I can't not wear a mask. I can't travel. I can't go to church because I want to live. And when they have you at that base primal level of fear of sur in survival mode, that's where they want you because then they can redo society, build it back in their image. And they're very clear. Yuval Havari is the advisor to Klaus Schwab, the World Economic Forum. He says we have a bunch of useless eaters out there and that automation is going to replace these jobs. We have way too many people. And he suggests the way to keep us calm is through video games um, and through uh, uh, what's this? Yeah, video games. And uh, he had a second. Thing. Oh, psychotropic drugs to keep us docile. Well, think back even under President Trump. Not. 
we had COVID, the CARES Act was basically a form of universal basic income. That's what governments for the Great Reset love the most. You just pay the people to be docile, complacent. And the, the great thing about a, a guaranteed minimum income or a universal basic income is it makes you beholden to the politicians who pay you. So anyone who comes along and wants to cut your benefits, you have an instant base of people. So the more they can expand that unit, and that's a big thing that's accelerated. COVID lockdowns have boosted that beyond anything you could ever imagine. Well, Zuckerberg is building one of these. Uh, you can see this in the side screen here. Uh, this is a bunker house and it's absolutely yeah. stunning. You can live down there, it looks like for years. Uh, they can even yeah. make it look like it's light outside and sunny. And you can look, you can right. have a pool and opulence. I mean, this is the Taj Mahal underground. And so some of these elites, it looks like they're going to protect themselves. They don't care how many wars we have. They don't care how, how you know, how, how many young men shed their blood for another useless war. Uh, they're going to be having, you know, the, the time of their lives underground with their loved ones and they will get rid of the population. Yeah, I mean, here's a simple way I can sort of wrap up with this throughout human history. The ruling class elites have always tried to think of reasons why the rest of us can't be free and why they need more power and control to regulate and manage us. And this is true throughout all of history. And one of the greatest advances of state power and the greatest threat to freedom has always been emergency power during crises. And this is whether you're the Roman um, Empire, whether you're the Middle Ages, whether you're 1930s Germany, where Hitler rose to power through these emergency decrees, the Nazi party became stronger, or whether it's 9-11 emergency power, which gave us the surveillance state, by, and, or COVID, which gave us the biosecurity state uh, and the lockdown state, and, and now climate, of course, which would give us just the crushing of human freedom, collapse of energy, food, transportation. And of course, you have to add to that our freedom of speech because misinformation kills, right? If you're against a vaccine, you're killing people. If you're against, if you say there's no climate emergency, you're killing people because they're not otherwise, they might drive their car more and you're causing a bigger climate emergency. So this is the human condition. In 1913, uh, president, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson was presented with the idea of the administrative state and these people in, in 1930s, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had an advisor named Stuart Chase who came up with a primitive version of the Great Reset. Government control of propaganda, media, government control of agriculture, government control of energy, government control of transportation. To say something nice about the ruling class elite that are pushing the Great Reset, there is a base of them ideologically and almost religious that believe that Laura Lynn, you and you and I and all of our follow and all the people who watch us are the unwashed masses and that we need help that left to our own devices without these educated elite experts from the ruling class who went to the finest universities and have all the degrees and went to and, uh, you know, are the experts and have uh, the government jobs and, and, and the ruling class. If we are left to our own devices, we'll create inequity, we'll create racism, we'll create death and pandemics because we won't be locking ourselves down. We'll create a climate emergency, we'll create environmental degradation. And their job is to save us from ourselves. And if you think about it, that's basically the mindset of COVID. 
where they were basically like, you know, you can't leave your house. You're a grandma killer if you do. So we're going to make it so you can't leave. We're going to penalize you. In the case of Australia, they had the quarantine camps. In the case of Justin Trudeau, so angry at the truckers, he he cut uh, he called the banks, cut them, declared domestic terrorists, cut off access to their own money. Not like, and oh, shot, we're going to cut shot, off government. Shot orders. unarmed citizens in the streets in shot, front of parliament. Yeah. Shot us with rubber bullets. I was there. They're crazy. Yes, I mean... They think, uh, my point is there's power hungry people, there's profit motive people, but there is a base of ideology here that thinks they're saving your life. In other words, if you won't take a vaccine, they wanna force you because you're too stupid to save your own life and the life of your kid. That's the impulse, it's as old as humanity itself. So let's give, a, I guess what I'm saying is, let's have a little understanding, a little empathy for where they're coming from. They mm -hmm. think they're actually saving us, at least the, a base of them. And I say a base, maybe 25 to 30%. So there, that's my kind words of the day for the forces of evil in the world. <laughs> right. A lot of them actually believe that they have to that save us from true. ourselves. And they're actually really so in fear. And, yes. and th th there's an interesting scripture. It says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let's not forget the sound mind. When you're in fear, you lose your mind. Like you can't think yes. straight. You're, you're, you know, and so I think a lot of these people, they're believing the nonsense. You're right. And they're, they're just, they're, they're so active to try to save the world. So that's a certain percentage. And at the top, they're all laughing because they know it's just a bunch of nonsense and they just got to get rid of a whole bunch of useless eaters, you exactly. know? So I absolutely yeah. love this, Mark. You're amazing. Um, the Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown. That's your book. JT, if you could put that up on the side. And uh, Mark, do you have a final word to just, uh, you know, advise us? I, I, I mean, I've gotten so much out of what you've said. Please come on again whenever you can. Please keep making movies. I think that movies are now like the way to impact the next generation. Like we love a good movie and it's sure hard to, you yeah. know, find a good one. So thanks for all that you're doing. Final word? Well, I would just say, don't lose hope. Keep the faith. Uh, God is watching over us here. And, and this is as old as human history. Nothing we're going through is unique. How we respond is critical. And I just give you hope here in the United States, the lowest level of politics, the school board level, led to the entire toppling of the COVID mask and, and vaccine mandates here in the US. Angry parents showing up at school boards in, all throughout the United States, particularly in states like Virginia, which toppled the Democrat party machine in the election. They're fighting critical race, they're fighting the COVID theater, they're fighting uh, uh, um, transgenderism in schools. They led the revolution which then had electoral consequences, which then the New York Times said the Democratic Party in the United States did a focus group and they found that the overreach on COVID was costing them elections and they were losing on, on blue in states they shouldn't have. Overnight, when they did this focus group, every major liberal city from San Francisco, LA, Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia, New York, Chicago, lifted mask mandates and vax mandates, vaccine mandates almost overnight. And that was because angry parents drove a revolution. So that is the power of the people. And that's what that's what we have to remember. We can't despair. We really do. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you for your time. Uh, you're just absolutely you. fantastic. And I thank uh, Dominique uh, for uh, suggesting you. She's uh, my assistant, right. works closely with me. Yeah, she just Dominique's loves great. you. You're a blessing. Uh, take care. And uh, we'll talk again. Thank you. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, you, Laura. Okay. Thank you. You know, that was so powerful. Uh, here's somebody who knows the truth and he's using his entire life skill set 
to make a difference. And that's what we do here as well. And I want to play a clip from Joe Rogan that's going to tie in with Mark saying, like, we have got to have our own systems. We've got to have our own ways of getting good information and we've got to share it. I, if you're watching this video, please share, share, share as you watch Joe Rogan on the importance of people being able to access non-mainstream information sources. Take a look. We were told like during the pandemic, don't do your own research. Yeah. Like what the f are you talking about? How about my own research in corruption of pharmaceutical drug companies? Are we allowed to do that? Could we allowed to do that about the past? The people that have been responsible for the biggest criminal fines in medical history, is that okay? What are you saying? <laughs> and, and but the ability to say that, just what what I just said, is so critical for people to understand what's really going on. And if you don't have anybody saying that, then we're really in trouble. Because if everybody's Brian Stelter, we're f***ed. We're f***ed. If that's the only way you're ever getting information, there's no Wikipedia. Not even Wikipedia. That's biased too. But there's just no independent journalism. There's no Substack. There's no YouTube uh, independent journalist videos where they're going over case by case, step by step, all the problems and all of the corruption that led us to this position. If you don't have those people and all you have is these mainstream propagandists, we're f***ed. But that's not the case right now. So that gives me hope mm -hmm. is that these conversations are happening and people are paying attention. And look like, look at how many people are taking this updated COVID shot. F***ing nobody. Nobody wants that Because they realize like this isn't work. It's dangerous. You know, Everyone knows someone that had something go wrong. You know what I appreciate about Joe Rogan? Uh, the man can swear like a trucker, right? So JT was just saying he has to do so much work just to, you know, because we don't, we don't really like that language here. Oh my gosh, we just, we're watching some show. It's like a, a great show and it's just so much swearing, right? We couldn't even stand it. And using the Lord's name in vain, I just, oh, it's just like, okay, done. So, um, but that's what we do with Joe. But you know what? There, here's Joe Rogan and he airs a clip of Ben Shapiro, who is a Jew and Ben was talking to a Christian and they were having a debate. And um, this Christian was really giving something to ben, uh, to ben Shapiro to think about and was bringing up points that Ben Shapiro hadn't thought of before as a Jew. Because Ben Shapiro really has looked at Jesus as sort of, you know, well, he, he was just a, a criminal and, you know, he, he, he's not real. It's, it's, he's not a thing. He's not the Messiah. So this Christian, so then Joe Rogan, Right. As he's doing this, he starts praying, you know, let's just all pray for Ben Shapiro, that Ben would find Jesus and that Ben would find the truth. And Lord, we just ask you to be with Ben and help Ben to get. So here's this guy. That, <laughs> I mean, he just totally has a trucker's mouth and is just so godless, you know, but but he just he loves the Lord and he prays. And, you know, I know a lot of you. You're just like him, right? Anyways, we, we're not supposed to have any corrupt uh, communication coming out of our mouths. All right. Uh, but anyways, I just like him. I like him a lot. I, I sense his spirit. And, I, I, you know, we have to be like that, don't we? Like just loving people, loving. If we can align in righteousness, I think it's a very good thing. Okay, I want to show you um, with the recent killing of one of Hamas's leaders in Lebanon, Israel turns its attention north in anticipation of an attack from Hezbollah. It is heating up over there. Take a look. The most pressing issue in the last 48 hours has been the turn of focus to 
the North, Hezbollah, what Hassan Nasrallah could do next. Your thoughts? I think the decision that Hassan Nasrallah and his Shura Council, which is the supreme decision-making forum in Hezbollah, which also has, by the way, Iranians very likely on that forum, what they will have to decide is whether the assassination of Saleh al-Aruri in the stronghold uh, Dakhia quarter of, uh, of Hezbollah in Beirut, whether that will be a trigger for war or not as far as they're concerned. And then once they make that um, very major strategic decision, the response to that assassination will be in kind. That's the order of the decision making I believe that they will take. And I'm pretty sure that soon we will find out. And <clears throat> separately to all of this, we're on a collision course in any case, in my view, with Hezbollah, because in the post-October 7th world, in reality, Israel has made it clear it will not tolerate Hezbollah's capabilities, its death squads, um, not only on the border, throughout the whole of southern Lebanon. We have, you know, um, entire um, bunkers and thousands of rockets and anti-tank mi uh, missile units, 200 Shiite uh, uh, villages in southern Lebanon. These are all Hezbollah military bases. Can that monster continue to threaten northern Israel? And I think, you know, Israel's overall answer to that is no. How that collision course will look like, the scope, the timing, that's all unknown. Um, but you know, the question of whether the Aruri assassination is the trigger or not is one question, and the question of when this collision course will be felt more, more clearly is a separate question, and we'll find out the answer, I think, you know, quite soon to both of those questions. Right. This is a matter of prayer, that we just pray for the peace of Israel, that we pray for God to intervene. Um, that Israel would be safe. And one of the hardest things, I think, and, and uh, I do question everyone who sort of, you know, would like peace, but how do you have peace when people right around your neighborhood are saying they're there to kill you and destroy you and, and kill every member of your family? How do you have peace with somebody who speaks and talks like that? How do we find peace? And so Israel has been backed into a corner and they are fighting for all they are worth right now. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. I'm going to read you something that's going to give us hope for the future future because all of this is, is difficult. And hearing what they're doing and what Mark Murano had to say about, you know, all the bugs and do not eat bugs, everybody. I have made, I have made a New Year's resolution. I'm not eating bugs. Uh, when I was young, I did. In Uganda, we had grasshoppers, uh, grasshopper season. We would go out, we'd catch them, we'd put them in bags, a big bag, a big bag, and we'd take them back into the house with mom because you go under a light and grasshopper season, came, they would come in by the thousands. So you would just grab a whole bunch, like you have to pick them up by the back of their necks, you know, like, Arr. and uh, so my mom would deleg them and um, take their wings off. We were Africans, what can I say? And, uh, you know what? Those puppies were so delicious. I, in all honesty, the grasshoppers were not that bad, and everyone did it, so I did. I caved into the societal norm. Um, I don't think I could do it now. It tasted a little bit. People that said, "What? Do, what does a grasshopper taste like?" Because you fry it up in butter and add salt and pepper to taste. Um, what did it taste like? A little bit like popcorn. Uh, once in a while, I'm somewhere and I get. Uh, a smell of somebody cooking something in a street or somewhere and I go that smells exactly like like popcorn oh my gosh worst thought what if they have like those little popcorn pieces in there what if they're cooking with with the bugs like that that could be happening you know I have smelt it recently I smelt like the, oh there's that popcorn smell great I, you know now my mind's going but 
what I think is, um, is that uh, my New Year's resolution, I'm not eating bugs basically because they're trying to get us to eat bugs. I am a meat person and I've been told that I should eat more meat. My son is a real carnivore, actually. He's just like all meat. He doesn't like the, he's doing this whole meat uh, eating, you know, diet kick. And he's telling me that, you know, vegetables aren't the greatest for you. And then Dominique was just telling me that spinach, you know, it's got an acid quality. And I'm like, what? I thought that spinach was like iron, you know? So who knows what? Remember when they told us to take, to use margarine and then margarine was bad. And then they put all this aspartame and stuff and aspartame is causing cancer. You know, I, I mean, every which way you go, it's kind of like, I just think we have to stick to some really fundamental, simple things that God made, like beef. I like steak. And um, we can get really good steak here in British Columbia because we are right next to Alberta, which has like the best steak on the planet. I love a good steak. So I'm going to eat more of that. That's my New Year's resolution. My website is laurelin.tv. If you like this kind of programming and you think that we need to, you know, be telling the truth and uh, pushing back on the narrative that you're hearing every night on the news and that we're hearing from political parties and their, their associates that are not getting the picture. And if you think that we gotta, we've got to keep on speaking, would you do something? Would you share this broadcast? Also go to our website and support us. It means the world to us. You guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Even you anonymous donors, um, you can go to that donate button. You can donate anonymously and it helps us so much because this is our work. Um, probably our life's work. We're pretty much unhirable. Um, Walmart will not want to have me as a cashier if, um, you know, if I'm ever applying because they'll look at my Facebook, YouTube posts and go, yeah, you're a piece of work, you know? And so we can't work anywhere else. And quite frankly, we don't want to because God called us to do this. I'm here doing a calling. This is not a job. Um, if I wanted to just do a job, I would have definitely kept my last position, which was a very well-paid national television gig. <laughs> and it's gone. Why? Because my mouth is so big. And I started fighting things, you know, and it didn't line up with you know, their, their thoughts and their mission uh, at that time. So it's okay. I'm not angry because I think that God brought me here. God brought me to a new place where I get to tell the truth. What would be really cool is to get back on television again on Daystar. I can do it, you know, for approximately, well, you know, a few thousand a month. And I'm kind of trying to think about how to do that. If there's anyone out there and you go, I really like you, Laurelin, and I want to support you getting back on television to Daystar Canada, um, onto a daily show, a half hour show. If you, if you think that that is something that you want to, to help support, please, would you go and, and donate to us and help us make that a reality right now? We are blessed that we are able to just like kind of keep going in faith every month, having faith that people will come through, that they will support us. They will help us to get the equipment we need to go to the places we need to go because all of it takes work and we work very hard. We get up in the morning, we look at the news, we try to figure out like what's important, the very most important things to bring to you because, you know, we're already on an hour and a half generally. And so we can, we're trying to fit it all in. Um, then we have these incredible guests that Toby's been getting and uh, Toby works very hard to, to um, find really incredible people who understand what we're up against and bringing them on the show. So please do that. If you'd like to send an e-transfer, that would be fabulous. You could also send me emails, which I get from, from y'all, especially when, if you don't agree with me, 
although I'm getting really beautiful emails just thanking me, and I appreciate that. Uh, but Lynn live at protonmail.com. You can send an e-transfer. Also, Lynn live at Gmail. Some of you still use that old one. That's no problem at all. It means the world to us. We also have snail mail, uh, box 48184 in New Westminster, V3M0A7. Thank you. We love you. We appreciate you so, so very, 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 very much. We also want to let you know that we think it's important that you guard yourself. As you prepare, prepare financially. We're doing it. We're preparing financially right now. There is a buzz. There are things going on. This is an election year um, in the United States of America, which always means a lot of movement. We see a lot of upheaval. We see that housing costs, nobody knows how to bring that fully down, but um, it's not good when we've got these high interest rates and then we've been printing money. On a day when your money is not worth what you think it is right now, on a day when your Canadian dollar is devalued, when the American dollar is devalued, because it's not backed by silver or gold, we've got a problem. We can only bring you the warning so many times. Please get in touch with Steve Merrill at Sovereignize at ProtonMail.com. Sovereignize. Take a moment. Look at that that difficult word uh, that Steve put in there. We need to air his uh, video very soon, maybe next week. Um, he is so well informed about what is going on with gold, silver, and precious metals, and also Bitcoin, crypto. He can explain it. And um, if you want to be able to safeguard yourself of the things that are going on and make sure that you're not just keeping money in the bank, I'm glad that you have money in the bank, you've saved. Well, listen, protect it then. Um, maybe buy real estate, get some silver and gold. I don't know, but be sure that you're very careful because we're on shaky ground right now as it uh, goes with cash and the value of it. So. Um, I want to end today by reading some really good news. Um, by Revelations 21, let me tell you what's happened. By Revelations 21, if you go to your Bible and you read um, this, you will see that um, you will see that a few things have happened. God is actually building a new heaven and a new earth. And by Revelations 21, this is what we've been through. We've been through the catastrophic Armageddon, where everyone's fighting. And um, we have been through the second coming. We've been through the thousand-year reign by Christ on a very broken world. And I keep waiting for my music to start, and I'm just in a real mess here. Yeah, okay, there we go. And, um, and so, so by then, we've been through the thousand-year um, reign and things things seem to have gone off even on that as well oh but we're still recording okay so did you lose it too jay uh aaron okay yeah so this final part um a lot has happened and the world's been destroyed and god creates guess what in revelations 21 look at this then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if I like that. Like, I love the sea. I wonder why God takes away the sea. You know, when the oceans like, come in, does it really mean there's no more sea? I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. That is the promise. That is what's coming. That now we live in a fallen world where people die, our loved ones pass away. You know, we don't have, we, we don't have comfort. Uh, we don't know how to get, get over the, the pain and the struggle and it's hard. But one day he's gonna wipe away all of our tears and there will be no more death. That is for eternity. Like the only thing that we have to worry about right now is getting through this tough part because this is sort of the test. This is the test. This is where God gives us the option to choose him. And if we choose him, we get eternal life. We get freedom from pain and suffering. We get a new heaven and a new earth. We get an eternity to have a blast. I mean, I'm loving it already. I hope you are. There's certain days it's not that great when you get all this news and climate lockdowns and shutting down airports and they don't want to have us, you know, having any fun. Like Mark was saying, taking away the joy of abundance and living and, you know, enlarging your territory and experiencing all that God has for you. They're taking away our joy. But in the end, after the Lord has returned, after there's a big war, it's a, the Armageddon war to end all wars. Basically, Ezekiel 38 39, it says that Israel's gonna be fighting alone and it's gonna look like no hope, but guess what? God is gonna show up with fire, with, with hailstones. He's gonna show up visibly so that everyone on the planet gets a chance to take a step back and go, I receive this. There is a God. This is the God. This is Jesus. And they get an opportunity once again to receive the Lord. Now, by that time, many scholars feel an Armageddon battle that the, you know, the, the taking away the, the great, you know, call to heaven will already have happened. Um, and so right after that, then there's some reckoning in life. But by the time we get to Revelations 21, it is all like it's all golden from there. It is everything beautiful and nothing bad. That's what we have to look forward to. Keep your eye on the prize. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing. But for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.